0: I enjoyed a very good relationship with Ken Schnault and uh, he uh, let me know in uh, the spring of 2009 that uh, any plans he might have had to leave in the next couple years were going to change and that he was going to stay for an extended period and Ken's uh, tenure ends at the end of this month so it certainly was a, a long time. Imagine you've
1: worked 23 years at a company up to the top, you're being groomed to be the next CEO, and then the current CEO tells you, actually, he's not leaving anytime soon. That's the position Al Kelly was in nine years ago at American Express. What happened next is a textbook case in how to handle career curveballs. Today, Al is the CEO of Visa and has great things to say about Ken Chenault, who's retiring as CEO of American Express. Al also has great insight into what's happening in the world of money, from Bitcoin to Apple Pay. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and you're listening to the Fort Knox Podcast, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. I do this weekly, bringing you the highest achievers. We're going to learn how the very best climb to the top and pull out lessons along the way. If that sounds good to you, make this a habit. Apple's podcast app is the most popular way to tune in, but Overcast, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. Mainly, I want you to subscribe, and every episode will come to you. I sat down with Al Kelly recently at the National Retail Federation Conference in New York. Visa is a big company worth more than a quarter trillion dollars, and its technology touches a staggering number of the payment transactions happening around the world every day. We talk about that, plus his career, which has taken him around some interesting corners. Here's Al Kelly. I want to start off talking about something that you announced just a few days ago, a shift in the way Visa compensates employees for retirement plans, 401ks. You guys have one of the most generous 401k matches around. What inspired you to do that instead of uh, bonuses, which some companies are doing as part of uh, tax reform?
0: Yeah, I've always been interested in making sure we do the best job we can to help our employees. And I I think as people look at their lives and realize they're going to live longer, I think the issue of retirement and having enough money to be able to celebrate the last third of your life or the last quarter of your life or the last half of your life after working really hard is very, very important. And I wanted to do something that was sustaining and long-term. And I felt that, you know, kind of a one-time bonus felt a bit gimmicky to me, to be honest with you. And we also have, as I looked at the data, very high participation in our 401k program. And so that signaled to me very clearly that employees valued it. And so I felt that if they valued it already, if we could enrich it further, and we went from double matching the first 3% of your personal contributions to double matching the first 5%. So you put in 5%, we put in 10%. I think it goes a long way towards making our employees feel very good about the company, but good and and smart as consumers. And I think it's gonna get the, the people who aren't in the 401k program, which is few, to come in. And they're gonna. And I really love the fact that it's got this long and sustaining aspect to it, and that's what I think is the magic of the move. How much of this was
1: cause effect because of the changes in tax law? How much of it were you contemplating already?
0: Well, I think we. You know, every year we obviously look at our benefit programs and we talk about things. In some cases, we we should do, and there's some other things that are kind of on the wish list that we'd like to do. This has honestly been on kind of my wish list, and uh, when tax reform came through, I talked to the other folks on our executive team and I said you know this is one that should come immediately off the wish list and become reality because we actually have the opportunity to do it and we're we're spending a lot of time thinking about what to do with uh, the benefits of tax reform in terms of investing in growth in our business and investing in our employees but this one felt like a good uh, start to uh, the year and doing it right at the beginning of the County year. It's not the beginning of our fiscal year, beginning of the calendar year and announcing it right after the holidays, we thought would be a great uh, boost to employees as they came back after the holidays. So uh, a little bit of both, John.
1: You have been at Visa more than a year now. Um, It's been an incredible period, not just of stock growth, but also economic activity. Overall, how does the global economy look to you right now? Because Visa has uh, a very unique look into how uh, how transactions are happening across the
0: globe? We, we really do uh, and uh, the last uh, year has been a really terrific growth period in terms of economies around the world and in fact almost every big economy around the world has looked quite good. Brazil had an issue for a period of time uh, throughout 2017 but it's actually looked better towards uh, the, uh, the back end of the year. The reality is that uh, more and more people are becoming global citizens, there's more travel and that obviously helps. And then e-commerce has certainly been a, a boom as people uh, can buy anywhere, anytime, from any place and uh, you know that has generated a, a, a lot of positive momentum. But in general, if you look at uh, job creation, has been quite positive around the world and it certainly appears like consumer sentiment around the world is quite good. But it's been a, a prolonged period of, of good economic times, and uh, certainly when you're in a job like mine, it, uh, one of the things I think I get paid to do is be paranoid. So certainly <laughs> looking at uh, making sure that we take advantage of uh, this period of economic uh, uh, soundness, but we're keeping our eye out for what could happen downstream.
1: Yeah, what does paranoia look like when you're Al Kelly? What are you, how do you keep an eye out for what could be coming downstream and what sort of measures do you put in place?
0: You know, I think uh, the, the biggest thing you worry about is things you haven't thought about. What, you know, what, what is it that you possibly could have missed? And I, th- I think a big part of that is surrounding yourself with a lot of really good people and creating a very open environment where you know, I, I want to hear and get as much input as I can. Uh, I'll, I'll never shoot a messenger. Uh, I'm happy to have people disagree with me. And we have, as an executive team, uh, a really great group of experienced people who have tremendous dialogue with one another and we're constantly pushing ourselves and even if we're all in sync, we actually play a little bit of devil's advocate and say what, what could we be, what could we, uh, be uh, missing. But I think it's about not getting overconfident, it's not about not getting complacent and it's about asking tough questions and making sure you're doing all the what ifs you possibly can do. I want to ask about you and, and your path
1: because I think it's, it's fascinating, you spent what 23 years. At American Express,
0: twenty-three years at American Express.
1: Um, so going from American Express with a couple stops in the in the intro to Visa, it's like going from I don't know Microsoft to Apple or Pepsi to Coke. Did you ever foresee that happening?
0: I actually never did, um, and uh, a tremendous respect for American Express and had a great time there and met a lot of tremendous people. Uh, but I, I moved on and. Uh, I had known Charlie Scharf and uh, when he became the CEO of Visa uh, we started to have a bunch of conversations about payments this is probably 2012-2013 and in 2013 he asked me uh, to come on his board and so I joined the Visa board in, in January of uh, 14. You know, the reality is is a bit different than, than Amex. Yes, there's a competition amongst the network business, but I, I spent most of my time at American Express on the issuing side of the business. So, frankly, I'm in learning mode about uh, some of the, the network side of, uh, of the business. And uh, we, we look at our business as being a real B2B business. We deal with 14,000 banks, 2,000 acquirers. 46 million merchants around the world. And our job is to sit in the middle of the payments ecosystem and do everything we can to help those different players facilitate the uh, secure flow of, uh, of payments. So uh, yes, it's uh, it's a move that uh, some people might find a little bit uh, bizarre or, or strange, but it, it just kind of wasn't something I sought out, but it naturally happened. Uh, I always had a lot of respect for Visa when I was at American Express. I continue to have a lot of respect for American Express now that I'm at the helm of uh, of uh, Visa. And uh, the reality is, the payments ecosystem is one that is full of many, multiple, uh, complex relationships. And there's places where Amex, as an issuer, I'm sorry, Amex is a a, 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 an acquirer and as a network, does things in common with us in terms of standards and the like. So. uh, the reality is it's been a great ride in many ways for me getting back into the payment space where I spent almost a quarter of a a century has been uh, really been a ball. I've had a blast the last 15 months.
1: Consumers see Visa and American Express differently than your actual customers do, right? Because to consumers, it's either or. um, It's it's two really well-known brands that consumers use being directly competitive. So I wonder if Coming in as CEO of Visa, certainly as a board member of Visa before that, you brought a little bit different perspective because you had been at least dealing with Visa as brand X for so long.
0: Oh, I think so. Uh, I think that was one of the reasons why, I mean, actually, Charlie said to me, I ought to start paying you for your advice, so you should come on the board. Um, Look, every board looks to try to have uh, some people or at least a person who has some relevant industry knowledge? It's often difficult to get, actually, because of conflicts of interest. And uh, I had been away from Amex for uh, over four years when the Visa board situation came about, and when I became uh, CEO, almost seven years away from Amex. So obviously, the industry had changed, uh, you know, uh, quite substantially. Uh, but I think that I did bring uh, and a, a different type of experience and actually felt like I played a different role on the board. There were people who had different kinds of expertises around governance and audit, capabilities, etc. But I kind of viewed my role as the person to help management advance their thinking, test their thinking as it relates to payments. And that's the role I tried to play.
1: I read some of the interviews you did after leaving American Express. And I never worked one place for, for 23 years, but I can imagine it's got to be quite an assessment that you take of what you want to do next, um, why you left, why did you leave, and what was your mindset when you left American Express about what you were going to do next?
0: Well, I, I left. It was a very, very thoughtful decision. Um, I enjoyed a very good relationship with Ken Schnault and uh, he uh, let me know in uh, the spring of '09 that. Uh, any plans he might have had to leave in the next couple years were uh, going to change and that he was going to stay for an extended period, and Ken's uh, tenure ends at the end of this month. So it certainly was a, a long time. And uh, I figured by the time he left, I might be viewed as too old to be the CEO, um, and uh, I wanted the opportunity to, to go out and test the waters beyond American Express and see what that might might be. The reality is I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I uh, was looking forward to taking a little bit of time off. Uh, I ended up, uh, unfortunately, leaving American Express on a Friday and that Monday uh, one of my daughters became quite ill and uh, three days later was diagnosed with cancer and that became my focus. And so to me that was extremely serendipitous. The, uh, I've got deep faith and I felt that it was ser- uh, serendipitous. And in uh, basically i found out what my job was for the next year which was uh, to be there for my uh, daughter and my family and uh, and she's recovered and doing great oh, and cool. um, and then from there i started uh, looking at various different things and as you said i kind of had this eclectic last 6 or 7 years doing the super bowl did a little bit of private equity stuff chaired uh, pope francis's visit to new york was ceo of an alphabet back company before I got the call about the visa CEO role. You said you've thought about politics, but you've since counted it out. I've always been intrigued with politics. I'm a political uh, junkie. I love uh, the whole concept of elections and uh, and the dynamics of politics. But, you know, but frankly, I've been turned off. It's um, I think the only way I could ever get interested in politics is if, and it would never happen, Kind of a whole group of people decided to get together with no term, you know, with one term, and and had the ability to go fix it as a as a group. But uh, the reality is that uh, a I wouldn't want to put my family through all the nonsense, and and b it's just uh, hard to get stuff done. Who knows if I'll change my mind again in the the next chapter of my life? But. for now, it's not in the cards for me, and I've got plenty to do running Visa every day, and, I, and I'm having a blast doing it.
1: Earlier in your career, you worked in the Reagan White House. I did. What did you learn about leadership? Just kind of being around that. Uh, it was at a time when, when technology was starting to have more of an influence in everything uh, than
0: it had in previous times. Yeah, it's interesting. I was in charge of technology for the executive office of the president. And, and when I got there, we were s- still had word processing devices. And we're just in the midst of switching over to IBM uh, uh, PCs and, and putting an email system in for the, the very first time. So that makes me seem like a dinosaur. Uh, and even though I have a computer science degree, my 14-year-old daughter's probably smarter about computer science than I am uh, today... But I always had a lot of respect for Ronald Reagan, and I think uh, one of the things I'm a a huge believer in from a leadership perspective is that the number one job a leader has is putting great people in place Hmm. and not worrying about whether those people are are smarter than you or have a a more intriguing background than you or are better educated than you, but it's actually just finding great people who are gonna do the best possible job they they could do. And I thought that Reagan did an excellent job of surrounding himself with a lot of very smart people and if you think about it he was an actor who you know then got into politics and didn't really have a tremendous amount of true business experience outside of governing california and i think was the type of person who just naturally said i'm not going to worry about what's on people's resumes per se and how that matches up to what's online i'm just going to plain and simple look for the best possible people to do the job and i that's something i believed in and I talk a lot about leadership with our folks inside and I always say that one of the greatest days in your maturation as a leader is the day you can look in the mirror and say I just hired somebody smarter than I am and it's a very important day because you realize for the first time that you don't have to be the smartest person in the room your job as a leader is to lead the orchestra and in leading the orchestra you want the the best violinist and the and the and the, and the best pianist etc and that's what you should be striving to hire. And once you move past that, I got to be the smartest person in the room, man, the world opens up and you'll just become a greater and greater leader. What's your superpower then,
1: Al? I mean, it's a question I ask sometimes, but different people have maybe uh, uh, academic gifts or the ability to analyze situations, the ability to come to a, a quicker understanding of employees or leadership uh, potential of employees. What is it that you think
0: makes you um, uniquely capable of leading the orchestra? It's a very good question. I don't really like the word uh, power, but I, I think that I just have naturally grown up as kind of a servant leader. I'm the oldest of seven children. My parents instilled a lot of uh, great values in me. And, you know, I, I just believe that when I meet people and, and or for people who are working for me, my job is to earn their respect. Their job isn't to respect me. It's for me to earn their respect. It's my job to be empathetic to them as human beings. It's my job to challenge them, but I I also think that it's critical that I'm authentic and so there's there's no BS with me. I just I say what I believe. Uh, I'm very approachable. My door is rarely closed unless I'm on a phone call and I and I need to need some quiet. I'm very visible. I've spent in my 15 months I've been at Visa, I've spent. 90% of it on the road. I've met the vast majority of our employees. I've been in 30 countries. I've met 200 clients. I mean, you you just you gotta be there and you gotta be visible. And I think that uh, my attitude toward people and my attitude towards leadership is that I don't need to be the smartest person. I need to be that orchestra leader. And I need to, if I'm gonna be that effectively, I have to be genuine. I have to be approachable. I have to set a vision that people want to follow, and I have to be somebody that people look to as having good values, and, and they, can, they can trust me, and hopefully those are the things that my organization thinks about me.
1: You're in an industry that's changing rapidly because of technology, you can almost say who isn't these days, but one of the questions that I get all the time when people find out that I work for CNBC is about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. What's your answer to that question? And I'm sure you get a lot to, "Hey, is this real? Should I buy some Bitcoin? Is this a threat to Visa?"
0: Well, I think it's still evolving. But my take is that Bitcoin is much more today a commodity, and and I might that somebody could invest in, and, and honestly, somewhat of a speculative commodity that people could invest in, um, and if depending upon when you got into the crazy cycle of what's happened with Bitcoin over the last three months and whether you've gotten out at the right time, you could have made a bunch of money. I don't view it, John, as a, a, a payment system player. Um, in fact, we at Visa won't process uh, transactions that are cryptocurrency-based. We'll only process fiat uh, currency-based uh, transactions. And I think when you, you think about it, people want a fair exchange of value when they're buying something. So if it costs $100, I want to pay $100. If I'm paying in something where it's bouncing around at the level Bitcoin's bouncing around, and if you think about buy ahead kinds of transactions, which we have many, when you you buy an airline ticket, you buy sure. it, you rent a car, you put it down, uh, you reserve a hotel well in advance of using it, if you're using Bitcoin, when is it When is it valued at? Is it valued at the time you make the do the transaction? Is it valued at the time you Show up is it value at a time you check out at the hotel. And just figuring out how to navigate that um, and adjudicate that, to me, feels awfully complex. And so I, I if uh, my advice to uh, retailers and uh, businesses around the world who have lots to do, as you said, it, it was the world changing so uh, quickly these days, and the clock speed of change has just picked up so much is to, this is one that I'd put lower on your list to uh, worry about.
1: How much do you care whether somebody pays with one of these, or a card?
0: Or a Fitbit, or or a a Garmin. Or an iris scan, or... We don't. Uh, In fact, um, over time, we want to talk much more about payment credentials, uh, which could be real, a real form factor, or they they could simply be uh, numbers in the digital world. Uh, bits and bytes in the digital world. And increasingly, we want to talk about places and things uh, where people can use or pay. And it's not, so the, the word merchant locations or businesses is also going to become obsolete. You know, as you, uh, the internet of things emerges and we see many more connected homes and connected cars and connected offices, you may end up with four or five, six, eight places in your home where you can actually buy from. You could buy from your refrigerator, you could buy from your uh, washing machine, um, you could buy from your television. And we at Visa are trying to make sure that we work with manufacturers around the world to create an on-ramp to facilitate payments from any of those locations, regardless even as to what form factors used. We're a set of rails that operates in over 200 countries and other 50 territories. We could settle in 160 currencies, and we want to make sure that our rails, which are as global as they are, are as secure as they can be, and we don't actually care how a transaction enters into those rails, it can come in any kind of uh, form factor and be used anywhere, and we just want to be in the middle of that.
1: You mentioned your faith, and I've talked to a number of leaders about exactly that, because it's. And you mentioned servant leadership. How does that come into play uh, when you're a CEO, expressing who you are uh, to your workforce, being authentic, but at the same time maintaining certain lines of demarcation between how much you express specifics
0: about what you believe? Well, I talk a lot internally about the fact that I want people to live a balanced life. Uh, I think people who live a balanced life are better employees than somebody who just is dedicated 100% to visa. I think ultimately they'll burn out and at the time they get really, really smart and really become experts, then they burn out and and what good are they to us in the long term. And I think a balanced life is is about uh, work, family and friends, faith and wellness. Um, And certainly I try to encourage people uh, and lead by example uh, to be active. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I wear this thing is to make sure I get at least my ten thousand steps <laughs> in every day. And some days that's really easy, and some days it's less less easy. In fact, I've got a a bit of a New year's resolution to try to do a couple of walking meetings a day. If I'm if I haven't been able to work out that day, instead of John come in and sit down and let's have a meeting, well, let's go for a walk and have that meeting. Uh, I'm not. Uh, my job's not to preach to people what to do. My job's to help them enable them to live their lives the way they want. And I want them to know that from their leader, they've got somebody who, who understands and, and wants them to live a balanced life. But everybody's got to be the CEO of their own life. They've got to decide how and in what ways balance means and feels. And I'm not it's not my job to tell somebody exactly how much time to work out. It's not my job to tell somebody what faith should mean to to them. Uh, it's not even my job to tell somebody how many hours they should work. But it's my job to create a uh, value system and uh, an invitation to people to know that at Visa, living a balanced life is, is what we want you to do. Mm. Yeah,
1: you mentioned Ken Chennault, the CEO of American Express, who's getting ready to step down and hand over the reins. Um, what did you see in his leadership? Uh, learn about leadership
0: working alongside
1: him. You
0: know, Ken's a wonderful person and a wonderful leader. And I had the uh, opportunity to... Uh, I interviewed with Ken in 1987 when I was considering <laughs> joining American Express. In uh, what role? Uh, a director in strategic planning, which mm-hmm. is where he started his career in 1980. Um, and uh, he, truthfully, was that interview with him was one of the reasons I joined the company. And... Uh, over my 23 years there, I probably sp- worked for a dozen people, but I spent 50% of my career reporting to Ken. Uh, first, as kind of his chief of staff in my early years, and then um, uh, in subsequent, you know, senior roles up to including being president of the company. And uh, you know, Ken was uh, a servant leader and uh, a, a a person who lived uh, a bit of a, a, a balanced life. It's possible his family would disagree with that. Maybe mine would too. But uh, you know, by observing him and watching him over many years, I learned a lot of things from him.
1: Uh, last question: What's the biggest, either unknown or uh, potential, change maker? Maybe a technology, maybe a device um, that you see coming down the pike that people who are interested in business, running businesses, should be thinking about.
0: Well, I'm going to answer it in a slightly different way. There's three things I worry about. Um, One is security. Um, You know, the payments ecosystem is is built on a foundation of trust. And if that trust breaks down, then it could be really bad for the entire ecosystem. Uh, Secondly, uh, you know, I worry about um, new intermediating players who in some cases have an advantaged position in a marketplace. I love competition. I think all boats rise when there's competition. I think when there's not competition, innovation is hurt. I think the consumer gets hurt. But there must be an even playing field. And in some cases, there hasn't been. And certainly, that's something I push for wherever we operate around the world. Bring on the competition, but let's make sure that we're all playing by exact same set of rules. And thirdly is, you know, there's a place for regulation in the world. But when uh, regulation becomes too excessive, yeah and it kind of gets in the way of innovation and you're spending more time figuring out how to comply with regulation than you are to how to please your customer and how to advance their experience, how to advance the security of their transactions. That's not a that's not a, a particularly uh, good thing. So those are the three things I know about that I worry about. Back to my earlier comment about paranoia, uh, I think it's constantly pushing ourselves to make sure that we are working hard to ask all the hard questions to make sure that we're not missing something. Because that's, I think, one of the things that I would guess most CEOs worry about, that you've got this huge set of responsibilities and and a huge world out there, and you want to make sure that there's not something that's important uh, that you're missing. And that's something I, I work hard at making sure that each day I try to push myself to make sure I'm asking, is there anything I'm missing? Me too stakes are high with your job. I appreciate you sitting down with me. John, a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: My thanks to Al Kelly. I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe on Apple's podcast app or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Please do leave a review. If you enjoyed this, Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot com slash YouTube. Follow me, John Fort, on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see video from some of these interviews, and you can say hi to me live, usually Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. There I tackle some of the most interesting business and economic issues with a little help from my friends at CNBC and from you. Just go to YouTube and search for Fort Knox or go to Facebook and search for John Fort. Twitter, same thing. You'll know what to do from there. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Fortnox.com. And, as always, thank you for lending an ear.
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy, So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.